And what a thrill it is to have Ken with us here tonight. Would you appreciate Ken Ham? Would you do that? Come on. Well, good evening. Well, it's great to be here uh, with you. Uh, for those who haven't heard me speak before, uh, I do have a southern accent. <laughs> Very southern. By the way, I could tell uh, we're in California because we left Kentucky when gas was $2.29 a gallon. <laughs> so things are a little different out here. Well, I come from the ministry called Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry, which doesn't mean we apologize for our faith. Uh, it means we teach people how to defend the Christian faith, and we equip people to defend it against the secular attacks of our age. So just tell you a few little things about us uh, as we get underway here. Uh, I have uh, one wife, and we have five children and 17 grandchildren. So my wife and I just celebrated in December our 47th wedding anniversary. And we just love all our little grandkids. Most of them are girls. But that's okay. <laughs> they, they do dismantle our house though when they come. Well, the Ministry of Answers in Genesis has many facets to it, uh, but we also opened the Creation Museum in 2007. And it's a whole walk through the Bible. It's an incredible place. And we use animatronics and life-size exhibits and we present the gospel, answer all sorts of skeptical questions, but walk people through the whole Bible. We just actually added a whole series of new exhibits, upgraded one-third of the museum. And it's, I, I think it's better than the quality of any other uh, secular facility, even, even places like Disney and so on, when you look at the quality of it. And then the Ark Encounter, biggest timber frame structure in the world, 3.3 billion board feet of timber, one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field. And it's a big facility, uh, as you can see here. And uh, we also have a, a 2,500-seat uh, auditorium, uh, conference center uh, there at the Ark, and one of the biggest restaurants, actually, in America, 1,700 seats. And behind there, we have a zoo, and we've expanded all the zoo, and we teach from a totally Christian worldview uh, perspective. And so what I thought I'd do is, you know, one of the things that we try to do is to say, look, we have the most important message in the universe, the message of God's word and the gospel. And so we need to be as good or better than what the secular world does. So and we just produced our new commercial uh, for the Ark that's been shown on uh, various TV channels. Uh, you see a lot of Fox News, if they allow Fox News in California, uh, <laughs> and uh, other places as well. And... This particular commercial, I think if it was on the Super Bowl, we, could never, we wouldn't, could never pay millions of dollars for an ad to be on the Super Bowl. But if it was, I think it would win the prize. But anyway, for the best uh, commercial. Do you know what animal is associated with Noah's Ark more than any other animal? Giraffes. You think about, you think about the giraffes sticking out the chimney of those little bathtub arcs all around the world, right? So anyway... Here's our latest commercial, if you haven't seen it on TV, and look for it, because um, we'll be playing this all year, and this is just the first of many that will eventually come. Seriously, Dad, I want to go. I told you, it's not that big. Great-granddaddy couldn't even fit right. That 
thing's not to scale. It's a cartoon. The real one's bigger than a football field. For real? Come on, you don't even have to pay for me. Kids are free. All right, all right. Can't be that big. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> Told you, Dad. You just gotta think bigger. So here we are. And this year, because we want to reach the coming generations, you know, Generation X, Y, and Z are very, very secularized. Generation Z, very atheistic. And uh, we want to reach uh, children, so we've made it 10 and under are free to the Creation Museum and the Ark this year, encouraging parents bring their families, bring their uh, Sunday school classes and uh, other groups and so on. So two verses of scripture tonight I particularly want you to think about. First Peter 3.15, in your hearts on a Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense or an answer. The word defense or answer is translated from the Greek word apologia, from which we get a word apologetics, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. And that's really what Answers in Genesis is all about. One of, one of the problems is that the teaching of apologetics uh, has not been done in most of our churches and most of our Christian colleges, Bible colleges, or Christian homes. And so because of that, we now have generations who are walking away from the Christian faith. There's an exodus from the church in America and the whole Western world because they haven't been equipped to defend the faith against the secular attacks of our day, and particularly the attacks on the book of Genesis that have happened in our era uh, in a massive way. And then Psalm 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's been a failure of much of the church to teach apologetics and a failure of much of the church to teach generations and raise up generations to think foundationally. And I'm going to explain that as we go on here tonight. You know, when you look at America from a worldview perspective, it's becoming less Christian every day. And not only that, from a worldview perspective of the culture as a whole, but we have a massive problem in the church. There's an exodus in the church, from the church. The coming generations, X, Y, and Z, are walking away from the church. In fact, this is research that was done by the Pew Research Center, so it's a secular group, and they divide groups into generations according to when they were born. So if you're born before 1928, that's the greatest generation, you know, the D-Day generation. And then we have the silent and the boomers, generation X, generation Y. Generation Z is not in this graph, but I'll show you something about them in a moment. This is regular church attendance in America. And if you look at the greatest generation, 56% went to church. Silent, 44%. The boomers, 32%. Generation X, now down 27%. The millennials, generation Y, only 18%. And generation Z are less than that. And people, that is the trend. That's what's happening. That is the future of the church in this nation. If you look in England, church attendance used to be about 40, 50% at the end of the last war. Now it's down to 4%. And that's where we're heading as a nation. And so there's something dreadfully wrong with what's happening in the church. And then when we look at worldview perspectives, views of homosexuality by generation, those saying same-sex relations are always wrong. Notice something, with the greatest generation, 78% said same-sex relations are always wrong. But then you come down to the silent, that's 70%, then down to baby boomers, 56%. Now you're getting below 50%. Generation X, 47%. And then you get down to the millennials, it's 43%. And then you come to Generation Z. George Varner in 2018 started doing research on Generation Z and he said this, they are the first truly post-Christian generation 
twice as likely to be atheist as any previous generation. And as you start to look at this, you realize as generation X, Y, and Z start to become the predominant groups in the culture, they're gonna catastrophically change the culture. You think the culture's changed now? That is nothing compared to what's coming when generations X, Y, and Z become the predominant group. And look what's happened in the rest of the Western world. The United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, we see moral relativism permeating the culture. In fact, you could describe our Western world this way. Uh, just as with the description here in Judges 21, 25. When there was no king in Israel, everyone did what is right in his own eyes. When people say to me, what has happened to our Western world? What's happened in America? Think of this. When you bring up generations and tell them the Bible's not true and the Bible is not the absolute authority, then they don't have a basis for what's right, what's wrong. Ultimately, anything goes. And people, that's what's happened. We've thrown the Bible out of the school system, thrown the Bible out of the, the media, the culture as a whole. Much of the church has basically uh, watered down the teaching of the Bible and said the first part in Genesis doesn't matter because the majority of our Christian leaders have actually compromised Genesis. And we've sent generations of kids to an education system where they're taught evolution as fact in millions of years. We don't teach them in our homes and churches how to answer these skeptical questions that undermine God's word. And we tell them, you can believe whatever the world believes, just trust in Jesus. And now we even have churches that are accommodating to gay marriage and abortion because once you start outside of scripture and say you can take man's ideas and reinterpret this part, why not reinterpret marriage? Why not the rest of scripture? And we're seeing generations now saying, why should we even stay in church? And they're walking out of the church. And people, that is America right now. That's our whole Western world. And I know I've had many parents who've talked to me and said, we're really worried about our kids. I mean, my wife says this about our grandkids. Our grandkids are growing up in a culture where there's like a tornado. It's a tornado of moral relativism ripping around them. And how can we make sure that they're not to and, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every uh, wind of doctrine? How can we make sure that doesn't happen to our kids? Because it has happened to the majority of kids in our churches. But first of all, we have to understand what happened. You know, and people look at me and they say, well, what happened? How did we end up like this? Well, what happened began in a garden 6,000 years ago. The Bible tells us. You know what happened? God said to Adam, Adam, you can eat of all the trees, one tree you're not to eat of, because if you do, you'll surely die. In other words, obey my word, God's word. But then the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say you can be like God. In other words, you don't have to believe God's word. You don't have to trust his word. Trust man's word. And what really happened back there was a battle between two religions, a battle between God's word and man's word. Did you know in an ultimate sense there are only two religions in the world? There aren't thousands of religions. There's only two. It comes down to God's word or man's word in an ultimate sense. And the battle between God's word and man's word is seen all through scripture. Think about it. Those who are for Christ, those who are against, a battle between good and evil, those who walk in light, those who walk in darkness, a battle between those who build their house on the rock, those who build their house on the sand. I, I, I mean, you see it all the way through scripture and it began right there in, in Genesis. You see, I, I just wonder whether many in our churches today really understand what it means that God's word is to be the foundation for all of our thinking. You see, do you know what the Bible is? Do you know what this really is? It's not a guidebook you add to life. It's not sort of a book out here you add to your thinking. It's not just a book of spiritual things and moral things and relationships. Do you know what the Bible is? 
This is a revelation from the one who knows everything there is to know about everything, from the infinite creator God who's revealed to us all we need to know about the history of the universe and who we are and what our problem is and what has happened to give us the right foundation so we can build the right way of thinking to correctly understand this universe and what it's all about. In other words, our thinking has to start from here. You see, one of the problems even in the Christian school movement is that so many of them use secular textbooks and try to add God to it. You can't Christianize a secular philosophy because if you don't start with God's word, you start with man's word. Then how can you try to force a Christian uh, worldview on top of the wrong foundation? And you see, in the way the Bible's taught in many homes and churches, it's sort of taught as if it's sort of a book out here of spiritual and moral things, but it's a book of history. In fact, Genesis gives us the history on geology and biology and astronomy and anthropology. Do you realize the history in Genesis 1 to 11 is actually foundational to the rest of the Bible, which is actually foundational to our whole Christian worldview, foundational to all of our doctrines? Look, let me try to help explain this because we're talking about apologetics and thinking foundationally. How do you build a house? Well, I know how they build houses in California. They start with the roof, and then they build the walls, and then they build the foundation. Now, you would say to me, now, that would be a stupid way to build a house, and it wouldn't work. You're right. But that's the way that many churches and Christian homes build the house of Christianity or try to in the next generation. They start with the roof and the walls. They talk about, you know, uh, the message of Jesus and so on, and, and we're trying to, trying to put the, the roof and the walls of Christianity on a foundation. Trouble is, the majority of those kids have the wrong foundation. Because if you want to build a house, we have to start with the right foundation, and then you build the walls, and then you build the roof. You see, when you think about it, when you start from God's word, you build a Christian worldview. When you start from man's word, it's a secular worldview. You can't take a Christian worldview and put it on someone who has the wrong foundation. It doesn't work. We send generations of kids to an education system that by and large is devoid of the knowledge of God and they're throwing the Bible out, prayer out. They teach that you can explain everything by natural processes. You know what naturalism is? It's atheism. And so they're taught the religion of atheism. There is a state religion in America. There's a state religion in our public schools. It's atheism. That's what it is. We've got to be uh, frank about it. And the trouble is, many of those kids come to our churches and homes, well, what about evolution? What about dinosaurs? What about millions of years? What about the Big Bang? I was told I came from ape men. You know what happens in many instances? I don't know, Johnny. I don't know what to do with that. It doesn't matter. You can believe in evolution. Trust in Jesus. And then we try to put the walls and the roof and Christianity on the wrong foundation. You see, if you don't have the right foundation, that structural collapse. What do you see happening in America? You see the once very Christianized worldview that permeated the culture because of the way in which America was started and your founding fathers, many were Christians, even those that weren't Christian, still had the worldview based on, on the Judeo-Christian ethics that permeated the culture. So even generations ago, when you look at the greatest generation and the boomers and the silent generation, even those that weren't Christian, a lot of them believed marriage was a man and a woman, that abortion was wrong. But that's not so for generation X, Y, and Z. And we look at what's happened in the culture, and I believe it's the church's fault. 
because we have not raised up generations with the right foundation, knowing how to think foundationally, to have a truly Christian worldview and equip them with answers, taught them apologetics to defend the Christian faith. You know, I was brought up in a Christian home in a very pagan country in Australia. And my parents were always researching what the liberal theologians were saying to try to undermine the Bible so that they could teach us the answers so we wouldn't be led astray by what they were saying. And I praise the Lord for that. I think it had an impact on me. (laughs) I'm going to challenge us that we need to be raising up generations equipped with answers to defend the Christian faith and thinking foundationally. And I want to do this practically tonight because we live in a culture in which you think of the issues. I mean, it seems like the whole issue of LGBT uh, and you know, the gender issue and the gay marriage is, is, is driving the culture. And then there's the issue of abortion, which is also heating up this year in an election year. And so what I want to do is to, is to go through and practically show you how I believe we need to be teaching our children how we need to be witnessing to non-Christians. You see, one of the problems you've got today, when you go out there and say marriage is a man and a woman, you're accused of hate speech. You're accused of being intolerant. One of the problems I believe we have is that so many Christians haven't been taught to be able to communicate in the right way. Because I think a lot of the, the non-Christians out there and, and uh, others, even some of them in the church that would, would be very uh, you know, um, okay with LGBT and all the rest of it, one of the problems is when you go out there with a worldview to impact these people, if they don't have the right foundation, they're not going to understand why you believe what you do. They see it as hate speech. And what you've got to do is to help them understand their thinking has a foundation, your thinking has a foundation, and unless you, you are able to deal with the foundational issues here, you're not going to be able to deal with the worldview clash. That's how I believe we need to be training people. You know, at the Creation Museum, we actually walk people through the Bible, the seven seas of history, creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, the geological, biological, astronomical, anthropological history that's foundational to all of our doctrines and foundational to the rest of the Bible, foundational to everything. And what I want to do is to show you, just give you a little glimpse at teaching apologetics and teaching foundationally the way I believe we need to be equipping people. You know, when people say to me, okay, you believe in God? How do you know there's a God? Well, there's lots of things we could talk about, but where's the evidence for creation? Well, let's look at DNA. That molecule of heredity that makes up our chromosomes, our genes, all the information that builds a human or a dog or a cat or an elephant or whatever it is. You know the interesting thing? We were told that this came about by natural processes. But in actual fact, what we've now found is, you know what, DNA is not just chemistry. That's what they used to think, it's just chemistry. We're just, that's it, we're just molecules. You know what DNA is? It's like a whole library of books of information, all the instructions and engineering diagrams and everything else to build a complex living creature like ourselves. But not only that, you can have a whole library of books, but if you don't have the right language to read the books, you're not going to be able to read them. DNA actually has the information to make the language to read all the books of information. You know what else we know? Information never arises from matter by itself. We've never seen it happen. There's zillions of bits of information in living things. Uh, an, a, a language system, a code, can't arise by chance from, from matter. It doesn't happen. It always takes an intelligence. You know what DNA cries out? In the beginning, God 
created if you don't believe you without excuse. That's what it cries out. Isn't it exciting to be Christian? It really is, isn't it? Now, let, let's go on a little bit more about apologetics to show you the ways I believe we should be teaching people. You know, when I first started teaching in 1974, one of the first questions I was asked by the kids, so how can you believe in Noah's Ark? He couldn't fit the animals on board. And you know what else? They said, look at all this evidence for evolution in our textbook, natural selection, speciation. And you see, that's what our kids are taught today. And the atheists today on their websites will say, oh, look, you, you want to show you that what you taught at church is wrong? Noah couldn't fit all the animals on the ark. Well, of course, once you come to the ark, you'll get the answers there, right? <laughs> but this is why this is an important issue. And just to give you a quick summary here. You know, the Bible says that God created kinds of animals according to their kinds. When I debated Bill Nye, it was nearly six years ago now, at the Creation Museum, and millions of people have seen that debate, he mocked me for believing in Noah's Ark because he said Noah couldn't get all the species on board. The Bible doesn't use the word species. It uses the word kinds in English that's actually translated from a Hebrew word, but it doesn't mean species. In fact, you meet the word kind again in Genesis chapter six, two of each kind, seven pairs of some, but two of each kind went on board Noah's Ark. You know, the, the word kind is translated from the Hebrew word mean. And we do research and we would conclude from the research we've done, when you look at our classification system, kingdom, farm, class, order, family, genus, species, we would say that the kind is more at the family level of classification. Why would we say that? When, you, when it comes to dogs, right? See all the different species of dogs, but there's only one family of dogs, uh, Canadae, different genera, different species. And the research has shown that when you look at all these different species of dogs, you can show this one can breed with this one, this one, with this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. That one never bred with that one, but you can still show they're all connected. And when you can do that, we would say they're all the one kind. And so there's only one kind of dog, the family of dogs. So you only needed two of the dog family, not genera or species, only two of the family on board the ark. The same for cats. All cats are related. There's only one cat kind. There's only one cat family. So you get two dogs that go on Noah's Ark and then two dogs come off Noah's Ark and how do you get all those different species? Well, it's really easy. When God created the dog kind, he put all that genetic diversity in the DNA already there. See, evolutionists have a problem. They have to try to generate all this information for all the things we see and all the changes we see from matter, but you, you never see that happening. Matter can't produce new information. And so from two dogs over time, you actually end up with lots of dogs. Very technical stuff here. <laughs> now, just to give you an understanding real briefly here, uh, because you know, this is sort of important to be teaching our kids so that they know that when you see natural selection and speciation, it's not evolution as they're taught in the public schools. And not only that, it's easy to understand how Noah could fit the animals on board the ark. We, in genetics, we label genes with uh, letters as a convention, capital letters, dominant genes, little letters, recessive genes. It's much more complicated than this. There are thousands of these genes. There are millions of combinations, but this gives you the idea. If this is a male and female dog that have big A, little A, big B, little B, big C, little C each, one set of genes from the male, one from the female, fertilization, and then you get all these different combinations in the offspring but they're all gonna be dogs because the two above were dogs. But you notice something? They're all different. They all have different combinations of information. You see that? 
By the way, when you get one set of DNA from the male in humans and from the female, and you then have a fertilized egg, it's a unique combination of information different to the mother and different to the father. And the body looks on it as a foreign object to reject, except God put an anti-rejection mechanism in the uterus. I say that because today you'll hear the argument, a woman has a right to do with her body what she wants in regard to the abortion issue. Fertilized egg is not her body. And then as you, as you have a look at this, you realise something. For instance, if you see this one here, you know how we get our purebred dogs? We decide which one breeds with which and we try to eliminate variability. We don't want dogs with long noses. Let's only breed the short noses together and so on. We're eliminating variability so that our purebred dogs are more like this. They're all little A, little B, little C's, you know, like poodles and so on. So if you breed a poodle with a poodle, that's all you're going to get. Sorry, but that's the way it is. Okay? If you want, you couldn't start with poodles and get back to the original dogs. But if you mix these all together again, you could get more back to what the original was like, if you understand what I'm saying there. In other words, God put all that genetic variability there to start with. And so then over time, as dogs increase in number and they split up from each other and move away from each other, those with longer hair variation survive better in this area. Those with shorter hair survive better here. Over time, you end up with all these different species of dogs, which has nothing to do with evolution. And yet that's taught as evidence for evolution in our schools. See, we need to be giving the answers to our kids. Now, to do that properly, I'd need an hour or so, but it gives you the idea. It's the same for cats. All cats are the one kind. You end up with different species. That's not evolution. And so natural selection is actually a downhill process involving loss of information, new combinations of information or maintaining information. Evolution is an opposite process requiring brand new information formed from matter which you never see. Evolution is impossible. Absolutely impossible. And everything we see confirms the Bible's biology. Isn't that exciting? It is. But are we teaching that to our children? But let me go on and show you how this relates to to worldview issues that uh, confront us today. The Bible says God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, you want to talk about the gender issue? If you start from God's word, there God solves the gender issue for us. There were two genders, male and female, which, by the way, is confirmed by science because you have the XX chromosome and the XY chromosome. By the way, get ready for, for, for your kids here because one of the things they're going to be told by the secular world is, oh, but wait a minute, there are exceptions to the XX and XY. Are there exceptions? Actually, there are exceptions, right? Just bear with me. In this particular study, there are abnormalities in the sex chromosome which equal 0.06%. It's very small. So why does that happen? Well, because of sin. It's not a perfect world anymore. But it's not just the sex chromosomes. There's all sorts of problems genetically in the human race because of sin. See, if we've taught our children the right foundation, not only do we understand genders male and female, but we understand why there are some problems because of sin. Now there are genetic mistakes because God doesn't hold everything together perfectly because now we run down and die. And so there are genetic uh, copying mistakes and mutations along the way because of our sin. But if you don't have the foundation of God's word, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't believe God's word and that God made us male and female, you'll realise you're not going to deal with that gender issue with them until 
they really have the same foundation as you. Because you can talk as much as you want about XX and XY and they'll talk about exceptions and this and whatever and, and evolution. See, if they got the wrong foundation, they're not going to have that worldview you have. Let's go on and look at this one. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That there solves the abortion issue right there. You see, human beings are made in the image of God. No animals are. Only human beings are made in the image of God. You get one set of DNA from the male, one from the female, fertilisation, a unique combination of information different to the mother and different to the father, a unique individual, and as those cells divide, no new information is added, which means you are 100% you, a unique individual right from fertilisation, and we're made in God's image. So what is abortion? killing a human being made in God's image. You see, we're distinct from the animals. But if you're taught evolution and man is just an animal, and in fact, you think about this, the way our kids are taught, man is in the animal kingdom, but actually man should be separate. Even though we have a body like a mammal's body, we are made in the image of God. No animals are made in the image of God. We're different to the animals. But you see, they're taught today that you're, you're basically the same. You know, I remember teaching on this at the Creation Museum a couple of years ago and a young girl came out afterwards and I'd say she was uh, late teens and she had tears in her eyes and she looked at me and she said, I was brought up in the church all my life and nobody ever taught me that about being made in God's image and what that meant. Nobody ever taught me that about DNA and the unique combination of information. I never understood that. And then she looked at me and she said, what if someone like me has had an abortion? And I said, you know, God is a gracious God. You know what God tells us? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and, and he promises to remember them no more. And then she had a big smile on her face and, and off she went. You see, people, when you're talking to somebody about abortion, you can tell them all, all you want, but it's human, what it, unless they have the foundation that we're made in the image of God and God is the absolute authority and what he says about killing human beings, they're not going to have the same worldview as you. You see, that's why we need to be training our kids foundationally so they know where their thinking comes from, what they believe and why they believe what they do. Look, the Bible says God made man from dust. He made man differently to the animals. He said, let the earth bring forth the animals. Let us make man in our image. See, we're made differently. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. See, there was no one like him. He brought the animals to, to man to name. You know why? To find there was no one like him because no one else was made in the image of God. Only Adam was made in the image of God. You know, it's interesting. We live near the Cincinnati Zoo and they have an ape exhibit all in the family, it's called. And when you read what they say, they say, we are not, after all, the only beings with personalities, rational thought and emotions. There is no sharp line dividing us from the chimpanzees and other apes. That's what our kids are taught. By the way, when you go to the zoo and you read that sign, there's no sharp lines dividing us from the apes. They have a very sharp line dividing us from the apes. <laughs> that tells you right there, doesn't it? 
And then what did God do? So Adam didn't look at a female chimp and say, she's close enough, I'll date her. He realised he was very different, right? So God put him to sleep and from his side, from a rib, he made the first woman and brought her to the man. Actually, it's interesting, in the New Testament, Paul says the woman came from the man. You know what's interesting? There are many Christian leaders that say God used evolution, but evolution has man from an ape man and woman from an ape woman. The Bible has man from dust and woman from the man. If you believe in evolution, you actually destroy the doctrine of marriage. Do you know why? See, when God put the woman to the man, he said, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then, therefore, this is the reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave out his wife and they'll be one flesh. This is the reason for marriage. God created marriage, not the Supreme Court of the United States, right? Marriage is a God-ordained institution. And when people say to me, well, what about gay marriage? There is no such thing as gay marriage because marriage is a God-ordained institution. They can have gay union or whatever they want to talk, it, talk about, but, gay, but marriage is a God-ordained institution. And you see, in the New Testament, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, haven't you read, haven't you read the book of Genesis? What's wrong with you people? I mean, that's my paraphrase. Haven't you read... <laughs> He made them the beginning male and female and said, therefore, shall many of his father and mother and cleave out his wife and they'll be one flesh. Jesus is quoting from Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. Do you realise that? Attesting to the truth of the historicity of Genesis. Marriage comes from the history in Genesis where God made man from dust and woman from his side and Jesus attests to that in Matthew 19 or also Mark 10 as well. The doctrine of marriage is found in Genesis. Now, think about this. I go to churches where there are young people that even say, but surely if two people love each other, if they're two men or two women, what does it matter? It's not a matter of where they love each other. It's got nothing to do with it. It's a matter of what, where did marriage come from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from God's word. He created it. And if you don't have that foundation, then you can see your worldview is going to be whatever you want to make it to be. And you see, that's the problem. When we're talking to people about the issue of gay marriage, one of the things I say to them is, can I tell you where my thinking comes from? You see, I start from the Bible. You know what often they say? Well, I don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the Bible? Okay. Well, then we can't even talk about any of these issues till you and I talk about why you don't believe the Bible. Then we have to deal with that. And that's where you're going to have to use a lot of apologetics to answer their questions. You get the idea? People, that's how we need to be talking to people. You see, it's not just marriage. Ultimately, every single biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. You think about it. If you wanted to destroy the doctrines of Christianity, one of the best ways to do it is to say Genesis 1 to 11 is not true. And there's been an incredible attack on Genesis 1 to 11 in today's world. Most of our Christian colleges and Bible colleges will not stand on Genesis 1 to 11. Most of them. Where's the doctrine of sin come from? Genesis 1 to 11. Where's marriage come from? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do you have a seven-day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new heavens and a new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why are you wearing clothes? The origin of clothing is in Genesis 1 to 11. Do you realise all of our doctrines ultimately are founded in Genesis 1 to 11? And you see, as you go through Genesis 1 to 11, those first four seas are the seven seas of history, we go through creation and then we come to corruption. You see, when God made everything, he said it was very good. But now we see death in the world, death and disease and suffering. You know one of the big questions of the younger generations? 
in fact, everyone really, but X, Y, and Z. How can you believe in a loving God? Look at all the death and suffering in the world. And they go to Sunday schools, many of them. Now they don't go to church anymore. They went to Sunday schools where they read these books. Look at this beautiful world God made. And they look out there and they see an ugly world. Because you see, it's not a beautiful world. It was beautiful, but it's not now. Because we in Adam rebelled. The consequence of death is death. Sin brought death into the world. And now it's a groaning world, as Paul says in Romans 8, because of our sin. And if you haven't taught your children that, they're not going to understand all this death and suffering in a loving God. If you don't teach them a literal Genesis 1 to 11, they won't understand how to believe in a loving God and all the death and suffering we see in the world. They have to understand it's not God's fault there's death and suffering and disease, it's our fault. You know, right there in the garden when man sinned, what did God do? He made garments of skins and clothed Adam and Eve. Do you realise that's the origin of clothing? I know when I took Bill Nye through the ark and we got to one place in the ark and I was using it to present the gospel to him. I said, Bill, why are you wearing clothes? He looked at me. He said, well, there are some places in the world where people don't wear clothes where it's hot. I said, it's hot today. You want to take yours off? (laughs) And you know, I, I helped him understand animals don't wear clothes, but humans do. You know why? Because God gave clothes because of sin. And because we have a conscience. The law is written on our hearts says that in Romans 2. And so we know what's right and what's wrong and sin has distorted everything. But when God did this, do you know he was also promising the Saviour? Genesis 3.15, we read of the promise of the Saviour. But also Genesis 3.21, the first blood sacrifice is a covering for this sin, a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There was a setup of the sacrificial system pointing towards Christ. The Israelites sacrificed animals over and over again, pointing towards the Messiah. You see, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And so we forfeited our right to live in Adam. That's why we die. So there has to be the giving of life to pay the penalty for sin. There has to be the shedding of blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. But the blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sins, which is, which is uh, why they kept sacrificing animals over and over again. We don't sacrifice animals today as Christians. Why? Because a man brought sin and death into the world. A man would need to pay the penalty for sin, but it has to be a perfect man. Can't be a sinner, but it has to be one of us because we're all descendants of Adam. But it can't be one of us because we're all sinners, but it has to be. So God steps into history in the person of his son, the babe in a manger, to be the perfect, sinless son of God, but to be our relative of our family. He is the last Adam who takes the place of the first Adam to die on a cross, be raised from the dead and offers a free gift of salvation. Wow. And for those Christians that believe in millions of years, and here's the problem, most of our young people in our churches have been taught you can believe in millions of years by uh, Christian leaders and so on. Not at this church, by the way, but in the majority of churches they have, a majority of Christian colleges. The fossil record, you know that idea of millions of years came out of atheism and deism of the 1700s and 1800s. People wanted to explain everything, including the fossil record by natural processes without God. And they said that the layers of fossils, they weren't laid down by the flood, they were laid down over millions of years before man. And many Christians said, oh, that's okay, we can believe that. But you know, in the fossil record, there's lots of examples of animals eating each other, bones in their stomachs. Do you realise the Bible says originally Adam and Eve and the animals were vegetarian? We weren't told to eat meat ourselves until after the flood. 
If you believe in millions of years, you've got a problem. In the fossil record, there's lots of diseases like cancer and arthritis and infections you see in the bones. You mean all that existed before man, but after God created man, he said everything he made was very good, so God calls cancer very good. These two things can't be true at the same time. You can't have millions of years of death, and the Bible says man's sin led to death, which means all those layers said to be millions of years old of fossils had to be laid down after sin. Is there anything in the Bible that tells you how you could get billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth after sin? Flood of Noah's day. And you find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. The evidence is all there. And then after the flood, as numbers built up on the earth again, they, uh, people, they rebelled against God. God gave them different languages, forming different people groups, not different races. You see, it's important to understand there's only one race because it's only the human race that can be saved because God's son became a member of the human race. And the Bible says we ought to go and preach the gospel to every tribe and nation. Every tribe and nation will be represented before the Lord in heaven you know, it's interesting when the Human Genome Project mapped the human genome, you know what they found? There's only one race. Oh, wow. <laughs> only one race. Of course there's only one race. The human race. Two spiritual races, the saved and the unsaved, but one biological race. You see, what I'm challenging us is, is this. What I was doing is just giving you a little glimpse at apologetics to help us understand we need to be raising up generations who know what they believe, know how to answer the skeptical questions, what they're being taught, what they see on TV, what they learn at school. They need to know how to defend the Christian faith and they need to know that God's word is true. It's true in its geology and biology and astronomy and anthropology and they need to be taught to think foundationally. They need to understand too that you know, when you disagree with someone about gay marriage, that doesn't mean you hate them. I was at a secular university in Oklahoma and the LGBT movement opposed me because they said I give hate speech. I said, just because I have a different worldview to you doesn't mean I hate you. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Just because I disagree with your worldview doesn't mean I hate you. You know, it's interesting, at that particular university, a member of the LGBT movement asked a question. They wrote it on a card and they said, I'm in the LGBT movement and I'm a Christian, they said, and they said, God spoke to me and told me that was okay. What's your answer to that? You know what my answer was to that? I said, well, I've been giving you a presentation today on God's written word. And you say, God spoke to you? If it's the same God, then his spoken word is not gonna be contrary to his written word. You and I obviously have a whole different view of marriage and gender and so on, which means you and I have a different view of Genesis. So you and I need to sit down first and find out why we have a different understanding of Genesis because until we sort that out, we're never going to sort out the worldview clash. People, that's how we need to be talking to these people. We need to make sure that we're giving the right foundation. And... As, as I talk to people, I'm always thinking, okay, they have this worldview, so they've got this foundation. They don't understand my worldview is different to theirs because I have a different foundation. I've got to go down here. If you don't deal with a battle down here, you're not going to be able to be successful in dealing with it up here. And so what am I saying? How do you stop our children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine in this whirlwind of moral relativism? 
when they have an anchor in the absolute authority of the word of God and know what they believe, know where the thinking comes from, they've been equipped with answers. Wow, what a difference that makes. And then the tornado rages around us. You see, two foundations, two religions, two totally different worldviews. God's word, one race. Marriage, one man, one woman. Gender, male and female. Abortion, killing human being made in the image of God. Man's word, different races. Marriage, gender, however you want to define it. Abortion, you're just animals anyway. It doesn't matter. And what we're seeing happen is the collapse of Christian morality and increasing moral relativism because foundationally, we now have generations who are even brought up in the church who no longer believe the Bible is the word of God and the absolute authority. And so... There are two diagrams that to me that sum it all up, two castle diagrams. We have the foundation of God's word, the rock of God's word, man's word, the sand. Uh, from God's word, your, your Christian worldview, your doctrines, man's word, secular worldview, moral relativism. But not just God's word is the foundation for Christians. That Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for the rest of the Bible. And you know what? The devil knows how to attack he attacks God's word. In this day and age, it's been an incredible attack on Genesis. And much of the church has said, we don't need Genesis 1 to 11. Well, now that whole structure will collapse. And it's one of the reasons why many Christians think gay marriage, abortion, and racism are the problems in our culture, but they're not the problems, they're the symptoms of the problem. Because they're all the same problem. It's a foundational one. And can you imagine what would happen if we started raising up generations to believe God's word and Genesis 1 to 11 they know what they believe, they know why they believe what they do, equipped with answers to be able to defend the Christian faith and deal foundationally with those who have the wrong foundation, then we'll be able to deal with those issues. And that's what the ministry of Answers in Genesis is all about. And that's where I believe we need to be at today as a people. And so my, my challenge to us is, are we training generations to think foundationally? And are we training them in apologetics so they can defend the Christian faith and to help them be anchored to the word of God and not doubt because of the attacks of the evil one. And you know, when you look at the first attack of the evil one in Genesis 3 there, did God really say? It was on the authority of the word of God to get them to doubt God's word. And that attack has been successful for 6,000 years. And unfortunately, many of us have let our kids succumb to it again. Let me just quickly say, uh, before the pastor comes, one of the most important parts of our ministry is to equip you to be able to train people foundationally and in apologetics. And we have uh, our resources out here, the cream of the crop of them, I would say, uh, and we can get them at different discounted prices and so on, uh, different combinations of books. My book, The Lie, other than the Bible, which is the textbook of our ministry, this would be the textbook of our ministry. This is the message I gave you today. And that's the message, I believe, for the church today. And then a new book I just published recently on how do you evangelize a secular culture with the gospel? Because you can't just go out and say, the Bible says, you sin or repent of your sin. They don't have that foundation. And actually, I'm saying our culture is like the Greeks in Acts 17. We need to learn how Paul presented the gospel in Acts 17. And I do that in that book. And then these five books, 160 of the most asked questions you're going to get asked, your kids are going to get asked, used to try to get them to doubt God's word, to get you to doubt God's word. We know the top 160 questions. We've traveled the world for the past 40 years. And so they are the, the leading apologetics books dealing with those answers. 
And so those seven books will be our core resources. A couple of other things quickly. My son-in-law and I put this together recently, all the classic arguments for evolution taught in schools and colleges refuted. And so I'd love to see every high school and every college student get one of those. Books dealing with one race, one blood uh, for teenagers and adults and for kids and books on dinosaurs for kids. See that uh, all sorts of age levels. Apologetics books answering the most asked questions for kids, middle school and younger. And uh, I, I really encourage you to start educating them at a young age. The Foundations Curriculum, uh, 12 30-minute programs of mine, video programs with a study guide that goes with them. It's an introductory apologetics program. And one last thing, we have a magazine called Answers. It won 11 awards last year, has a digital magazine that goes with it. It's, it's like a survival kit for your family, giving you those answers. And you can use it digitally or the printed form. Uh, encourage you to subscribe. And if you subscribe, we'll uh, give you a free uh, DVD uh, for each year, subscribe. You can even get a copy of my testimony DVD if you subscribe to that. Thinking foundationally and being equipped with answers, apologetics. That's what I want you to remember from tonight. Are we raising up our children like that? Are we equipped like that? Are we witnessing to people foundationally so they understand why we believe what we do and help them to understand why they have a different worldview than us? I encourage us to get in, uh, equipped to be able to do that. And I'll hand back over for closing.